uh, friends beyond the binary, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and my patron peeps. Say patron peeps. It's Scoots here, and we're talking about uh, trying to get. Actually, hold on. I got to take my sweatshirt off. I'll be right back. I apologize, patrons. Uh, okay, sorry, patron in the back. I thought I was going to be cool enough. It's uh, it was us, uh, you know, hot blooded checking and see. Okay, so we're talking about some of the facts behind episode five of uh, Great British Bake Off. Um, this was Spice Week, and ginger was one of the things they used. And uh, so let's talk about ginger. Zinger beer aficionale is uh, something I just saw on Wikipedia. That's Z-I-N-G-I-B-E-R. Uh, O-F-F-I-C-I-N-A-L-E, flowering plant whose rhizome, the ginger root or ginger, is widely used as a spice uh, medicine. It's a herbaceous perennial. It's herbaceous, man. Annual pseudostems, false stems made of rolled bases or leaves about one meter tall. Who are you calling a pseudostem? Oh, it's in the family of Zinger Bear Baras Barasai. Something also includes turmeric, cardamom, and gal galangal. Gal angal. Galangal. Uh, let's see. It was uh, originated in maritime Southeast Asia. It was likely domesticated by the first uh, Austronesian peoples. This is uh, 5,000 BP. Uh, well, let's see. Origin, distribution, history. The first written record of ginger comes from uh, the Analects of Confucius. Confucius was said to eat ginger with every meal. Production. Global production of ginger was 2.8 million tons, uh, led by India with 32% of the world's total. Then China, Nigeria, Nepal, Indonesia, and Thailand. Let's see. It's more about farming. The size of the seed ginger called the rhizome is essential to production of ginger. The larger the rhizome piece, the faster the ginger will be produced and the faster brought to market. Transportation and export uses of popular spice worldwide. This is all on Wikipedia. Fragrant spice, kitchen spice. Young ginger rhizomes are juicy and fleshy with a mild taste. Uh, they're often pickled in vinegar or sherry. They can be steeped in boiling water to make ginger herb tea or candy or ginger wine. Mature rhizomes are fibrous and nearly dry. The juice from ginger roots can be used in seasoning. Regional uses, let's see, I was wondering about stem gingers, but that's the one thing I never, so I'm going to have to search for that next. Uh, yeah, let's search for that. Because I noticed they use, we're using uh, stem ginger on, uh, which we don't have, I mean, I, I haven't really seen it in the U.S. Uh, it looked like little round ginger balls and like a sugar syrup. So I'm just trying to see if there's any overview. Here's stem ginger versus crystallized ginger. Okay, stem, stem ginger. This is from Chocolate, Chocolate, and More, November 13th, 2018. Stem ginger may not look glamorous, but it adds incredible flavor to baked goods. Uh, and you can use a syrup, uh, make a batch today. You'll be glad you did. So stem ginger, according to this article, is a game changer. They were looking for new gingerbread, and they found a bunch they called for stem ginger, which they had never heard of before. Uh, stem ginger is candied ginger in its own syrup. Uh, so let's see. You can mince ginger up and substitute it, uh, blah, blah, blah. Still doesn't talk about, this was purchased, though. They weren't making stem ginger. Okay, this is from The Guardian, Nikki Duffy. This is from 2008. Stem ginger and syrup, also called preserved ginger, is a wonderful ingredient. You can use it in sweet or savory dishes. It keeps indefinitely in the fridge. Opie's is a good brand, O-P-I-E-S, widely available, or you can get it online. Although the big, knobby... Uh, bands of fresh hands of French fresh ginger are called fresh, not French. Are called root ginger. Stem ginger is the same stuff, just peeled and cooked slowly in syrup. Uh, neither is strictly a like accurate because ginger is ne technically neither a root nor a stem, but a rhizome. 
Finely diced, sweet hot stem ginger is fantastic in cakes, biscuits, trifles. You can trickle the syrup. Uh, so I guess we learned a little bit about it, but not as much as I would have liked to. But, you know, that's, you know, that's how life goes in some sense. Uh, let's see, now you need to get back to Spice Week. Okay, so the sig- signature challenge was a ginger cake. Uh, did we co- cover Bonfire Night yet? I don't know if we did. So let's cover it again just in case. Uh, let's cover it in a different way, though. Parkin, P-A-R-K-I-N, or I'm probably saying it wrong, but uh, that's a gingerbread cake traditionally made with oatmeal and ba- black treacle, treacle. Uh, often associated with Yorkshire or Le- in Leeds, uh, Parkin is based uh, is a baked hard cake where, where but with resting becomes moist, almost sticky. It's uh, in Hall in East Yorkshire. It's drier, more biscuit like texture. It's traditionally eaten at Guy Fawkes Night, November fifth, but it's also enjoyed throughout the winter months. Uh, I know I talked about uh, Bonfire Night somewhere else. I can't remember once. The Thorf Cake, uh, Parkin and Thorf Cake, Tharf, Tharf, yeah, Tharf, were used interchangeably in Lancashire and Yorkshire, Yorkshire until 1900. Over 500 years of recipe and taste, these cakes have been changed considerably. Uh, because ovens were rare in people's houses and they had no access to public bakers before the 1820s, so the cakes were cooked on griddles or bake stones on an open fire. The best barking was made with fresh oatmeal, which fixes the date around the first week of November. Uh, festivities in Southern, like uh, this is inexorably linked to Guy Fox Night celebration. Uh, Guy Fox and Parkin as a bonfire uh, the first two weeks in November had many Christian and Celtic festivals, which preceded them. They were celebrated with fire and rich ritual cakes, All Hallows Eve, All Saints Day, All Souls Day, Little Lent in the 40-day fast until Christmas. On All Souls Day, soul cakes were baked. Uh, yeah, and there was other a Celtic festival that uh, started November 1st. Uh, then it was Christianized into All Hallows. Uh, and uh, when Guy Fawkes in 1605 gave the English church reason to celebrate with a bonfire, their tradition was bo- adopted under a new name just four days later on the 5th of November. So that is a little bit more. Let's see. Oh, let's see. Turmeric latte. You know, that's like one of the things I'm into is golden milk. Uh, so let's see. This is all about lattes in general. Lattes, is somebody I know has a dog named Latte. Is that on a TV show or is that in real life? Uh, I wish I knew. Sometimes I don't know the difference anyway. Latte is a coffee drink made with espresso and steamed milk. It comes from Cafe a Latte, Cafe Latte, coffee and milk, uh, sometimes spelled L-A-T-T-E or L-A-T-T-E-E with, with a t- a different kinds of accent marks. In Northern Europe and Scandinavia, the term Cafe au lait has been traditionally used for a combination of espresso and milk. Uh, in France, Cafe Latte. Mostly known from the Italian name of the drink, Cafe, 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 a combination of espresso and steamed milk. Uh, Variants include the chocolate-flavored mocha or a masala chai, matcha, turmeric, or tea, soy milk, almond milk. It's been a part of the coffee milk have been a part of European cuisine since 17th century. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, Cafe Latte was first used in 1867. Spelling variations. Current use, ice latte. Oh, here's this is the stuff I really, I wish I would remember this stuff. Here's a latte, Cafe Latte versus Latte Macchiato. The Cafe Latte, this is, I mean, really, I don't know, like, I always am like, what, uh, what the heck's a macchiato? I'm not going to order that. I don't even know what it is. Uh, say, just call, just give me a coffee. 
We don't have that. Oh, boy. We don't have that. Uh, we'll make, we can make you an Americano. I say, oh, that's too watery for me. Don't you have anything like from a day or two ago? Sorry, it drifted into my own memory, sir. A cafe latte differs from a latte macchiato. In a latte macchiato, espresso is added to milk rather than the reverse. Uh, and the cafe lattes have a stronger coffee flavor. The latte macchiato is milk steamed to microfoam, served in a glass with half a shot of espresso, poured through the foamy top, creating a drink with a macchia, literally a stain, a spot of espresso on the top. As with a cafe macchiato, which is an espresso with a spot of milk atop, the t- atop there's a hint of milk underneath the espresso foam. Cafe, there's, there's latte macchiato, cafe macchiato. A latte macchiato is the opposite to indicate there's espresso in the milk. Well, I don't know. Whichever one's strongest is what I would say. If it's before noon. A uh, latte is sometimes served in a bowl. Latte art is the stylization of the coffee making. The Earl Grey latte may be called the London Fog. Not seen anything about the uh, golden milk, though. Turmeric latte, though, that's good stuff. As long as, I mean, I guess not if it has uh, coffee, too. Okay, next up is Kaleidoscope, because Dan made a Kaleidoscope for Constance. Uh, So a Kaleidoscope is an optical instrument with two or more reflecting surfaces tilted towards each other in an angle, so that one or more parts of the object on one end of the mirrors is seen as a regular symmetrical pattern when viewed from the other end. Due to repeated reflection... The reflectors or mirrors are usually enclosed in a tube, often containing on one end a cell with loose colored pieces of glass or other transparent or opaque materials. I don't even know. Uh, Coined by Scottish inventor David Brewster. Uh, It's derived from the ancient Greek word kalos, uh, beauty or beautified, and eidos, with that which is seen and scopeo, to look or examine, uh, hence observation of beautiful forms. It was first published in the patent that was granted July 10th, 1817. I don't know, remember the movies that were about, you know, different, like Marconi versus uh, whoever, Edison versus Tesla. Who's Marconi against? Somebody, like, uh, who was one... There's always one person that events the stuff and the other person that uh, pluses it, quote-unquote, with, uh, you know, and then benefits from it. Mercone and, I don't know, maybe I could look that up next. There's nothing to do with baking. Neither does uh, Kaleidoscope, though. Thanks. Let's, uh, history of kaleidoscopes, uh, multiple reflection and two or more reflecting surfaces has been known for a long time, uh, since at least 1500s, 1600s, uh, people were doing it, polygons, uh, Mr. Bradley's new improvement in plating and gardening, had described it, uh, but old Sir David Brewster was the one who patented it but did conduct experiments on light polarization by successive reflections between plates of glass. First noted the circular arrangement of images uh, of a candle around a center and the multiplication of sectors formed by the extremities of plates of glass. Forgot about it, but in 1815, you know, they kept at it, I guess. Uh, Brewster thought it might create an infinity of patterns. uh, And, uh, a solar microscope, a type of camera obscure, a magic lantern. Brewster believed it would become a, a popular instrument for the purposes of rational amusements. I wonder if this is the same time as the Dickens Fair. Maybe I could go with Sir David Brewster. I wish I knew my dates better. Uh, let's see. Philip Carpenter. Yeah, there's, so there's variations. The polyangular kaleidoscope. Uh, 
I guess I'd have to build a kaleidoscope, though. That would be kind of... And actually know some of this stuff. Uh, a lot of math involved in this. Applications. Uh, nowadays, they're attended as children's toys uh, or extreme handmade pieces that display fine craftsmanship. I don't know. Interesting stuff, though. Okay, what else we got? Uh, what was I going to look up? I already forgot. It had nothing to do with anything we were talking about, though. Not stem ginger. It really forgot. I said, oh, yeah, that's interesting. What the heck's going on with that? Uh, it was, uh, I was talking about kaleidoscopes, and I got distracted, and then I forgot what I got distracted about. Oh, well, let's talk about Art Deco. Art Deco, sometimes referred to as Deco, is a style of visual arts, arts, arts architecture, and design. First appeared in France before WW1. Uh, influenced design of buildings, furniture, jewelry, fashion, cars, movie theater, you know, everything. Or Marconi, that's what I was going to look up. Maybe I'll remember this time. Uh, arts, it took its name from Arts de Crafts uh, from the Exposition Internationale des Arts de Décoratifs. Uh, held in Paris in 1925, combined modern styles with fine craftsmanship, rich materials, uh, represented luxury, glamour, exuberance, and faith in social and technological progress. Chrysler Building. It was influenced by Cubism, the Vienna Secession, Fauvism, uh, Ballet Rousset, Louis Philippe, and Louis XVI, 14th, uh, as well as influences from China, Japan, India, Persia, ancient Egypt, and Mayan arts. Yeah, other skyscrapers were Art Deco. And then in the 30s, it became more subdued, uh, especially with also the introduction of chrome, stainless steel, plastic. And this became streamlined, modern, 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 modern. So we got that. Uh, trying to see if there's anything interesting. 1913. Uh, the architects of the Vienna Secession in 1897 had a notable influence on Art Deco. Uh, there was uh, the Stolitz Palace in Brussels, a prototype of Art Deco style. Stolitz. Um, a lot of stuff, but let's look up uh, Marconi. Uh, Marconi, I don't know where I got Enrico Marconi from, just my memory. Uh, because. Uh, uh, this is a uh, googly aim because uh, there was no Enrico Marconi. I mean, maybe let's see what if I go back to Marconi. Marconi Company, British uh, GE, which became GE, really. Wow. Marconi electronic system. But uh, there is no Enrico Marconi scoots. Sorry about that. Uh, okay, so th- this is interesting. So I dug deep. Well, Guillermo Marconi is the Marconi. I don't know. Still don't know where I got Enrico Marconi from. And it was Tesla. Um, and it's interesting that it became owned by GE. Wow, this is uh, fascinating stuff. Uh, there must be a podcast about it all. That I have to listen to, but Guillermo, 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 I think Guillermo Marconi uh, is credited with becoming the uh, inventor of radio. Uh, He's known for his pioneering work on long distance radio transmission, Marconi's Law, 1909 Nobel Prize for Physics. Also an entrepreneur, business person, founder of the wireless uh, telegraph and signal company in the UK, which later became the Marconi Company. So, let's see, radio work. Uh, From youth, uh, Marconi was uh, interested in science and tech. Uh, 
began to cut, uh, conduct experiments in his 20s on radio waves, much of it building his own equipment uh, in Italy, uh, built on uh, Hertz's original experiments and work. Uh, let's see, who was uh, Hertz? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, this is really deep. I mean, this is history. Those of you in the rest of the world, you get taught this in school. I think I still was around when they taught that stuff. Uh, but uh, I guess my brain, you know, then I started playing video games. Uh, my mom was right. And uh, let's see. In 1894, Marconi uh, developed a radio transmitter and receiver to his mom, made a ring, bell ring on the other side of the room, so, supported by his father. Uh, uh, they continued to read through rid of the literature and picked up ide- ideas of physicists who were experimenting with radio waves. Uh, he developed uh, portable transmitters and receivers that could work over long distances, uh, turning ex- what was essentially rab- laboratory equipment into a useful communication system. He set up a simple oscillator, spark-producing transmitter, wire or metal sheet capacity area suspended above the ground. A coherer receiver, which was a modification of Edward Branley's original device, a telegraph key uh, to operate the transmitter and send long and short pulses uh, using Morse code. Morse code. A telegraph register activated by the coherer, which recorded the received Morse code and roll of paper tape. Then in 1885, he headed outdoors on his father's estate, uh, trying different arrangements and shapes of antenna. Was only able to get up to one half mile, uh, which Oliver Lodge had predicted as was might be the maximum transmission distance. Uh, but then had a breakthrough, found a greater may greater range could be achieved by having a higher height of the antenna. Uh, borrowing from a technique used in wire telegraphy, he grounded his transmitter and receiver. Uh, With these improvements, the system was capable of transmitting signals two miles. Uh, Monopole antenna reduced the frequency of the waves compared to the dipole antennas used by Hertz, uh, and the radiated vertical polarized radio waves could travel longer distances. Then the British got interested in 1896 uh, and got up to 3.7 miles. This is when Tesla Tesla was involved right around then, but lost Tesla's lab got lost. Uh, so let's see. So I don't know, transatlantic, oh, transatlantic transmissions. At the turn of the century, Marconi began investigating a means to send signals across the Atlantic. Uh, to compete with the transatlantic telegraph cables. Uh, 1901, Wexford uh, to Cornwall, to Galway, uh, to Newfoundland, uh, using a 500 kite-supported antenna for reception and a high-power station in Cornwall. The distance between the two points, uh, Newfoundland and Cornwall, was 2,200 miles. Uh, but there was a lot of skepticism that that was even successful because there's no wavelength known. Uh, the tests uh, took place at times of the day when the, everything was in daylight, which wasn't a good idea. And uh, then uh, Marconi said, okay, if you're skeptical, we'll do another test. Uh, 1902, the SS Philadelphia had sailed west from Great Britain with Marconi aboard, carefully recording signals sent from the station in Cornwall, polled who. Uh, the test refer- produced... Uh, Co is just checking on me, everybody, so uh, i got to finish this up here. The, those uh, 1,500 miles and uh, for coherer tape reception and audio reception of 2,100 miles. This is at night, though. And those are the first tests to show that radio signals for medium wave and long wave long wave transmissions travel much farther at nights. And uh, yeah, there's uh, 
a lot more, a lot more interesting stuff about uh, Marconi, and I'm sure there's more about, uh, uh, yeah, it seems like he had some interesting history here. Um, and then, yeah, then that Tesla was competing, uh, and then GE, and then, oh, wow, it's like, uh, never, never stops getting interesting. All right, so I'm going to send you back to Scoots for the next episode. Coming up here in a minute. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Or here you go, Scoots. Friends beyond the binary, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and my patron peeps, my patron peeps. Uh, Scoots here, my patron peeps. I think uh, Scoots already threw it to me. So we're talking about episode six, I believe, uh, Patri episode, pastry, or the Patri episode. But we're, I think we're talking about pastries. It's interesting, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, we're going to be covering it. Uh, and the first thing we're going to be talking about are samosas, uh, which is spelled S-A-M-O-S-A, samosa. That's a sing- whatever singular. And samosa is uh, um, like a, like a so, so I know a lot of people that are samosa fans. I like samosas too, but uh, like a, the, like a, just not my number one, I guess, because I'm not a big appetizer consumer. And then I say, well, if it, like, the option is, like, if I say, well, I'm going to have something that I'd like to rather dip, be dipping my naan in my curry, uh, if I'm going to, if I'm trying to limit, if I'm trying to practice moderation, so I pass on the samosas in that case. But they are delicious. Oh, so what is it, Scoots? Oh, it's a fried or baked pastry with a savory filling. Spiced potatoes, onions, peas, cheese, beef, or other meats, lentils. It could take different forms, triangular, cone, or half-moon shape, depending on the region. The Indian style uh, is often accompanied by a chutney. Uh, but there's a widely known broad family of recipes from Africa to China. Uh, they're popular as an entree, appetizer, or a snack uh, in the cuisines of uh, South Asia, Western Asia, Southeast Asia, Mediterranean, and Africa. And it's also dealt with cultural diffusion. It can be r- traced to the Persian word sanbosag, S-A-N-B-O-S-A-G. This is all according to Wikipedia, of course. Um, history. Uh, it started, it originated in the Middle East, Central Asia, spread to Africa, Southeast Asia, and South Asia. Uh, the term and its variants come, cover a family of pastries and dumplings, uh, which we described. And yeah, there's a, like, and this is an extensive Wikipedia article, uh, it covers, yeah, a lot about samosas. Let's just seeing 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 what uh, links they have. Oxford Companion to Food. These are some of the references. Uh, Food's Holy Triangle. Uh, lovely Triangle. So so yeah, you could definitely link and and do. You could go down a like. Speaking of going down a rabbit hole, that's uh, one of our next ones. Is uh, so I'll just transition right to that. The Alice's, Alice's uh, Adventures in Wonderland, uh, which commonly is shortened to Alice in Wonderland, is an 1865 novel by English author Lewis Carroll, pseudonym of Charles Dodgson. Talks about Alice, who falls through a rabbit hole into a subterranean fantasy world populated by peculiar anima, anima, anthropomorphic figures. It's considered to be one of the best examples of literary nonsense genre. We're going to have to click through to that. Tale plays with logic, giving the story lasting popularity with adults and children. So let's just see what this literary nonsense genre is. This is the old Wikipedia rabbit hole. We're down. Uh, literary nonsense or nonsense literature or just nonsensical rambling, which is what people say about this show. Broad characterization of literature balances elements that make sense, uh, subverts language conventions, logical reasoning. Check, check. Uh, but we don't have nonsense verse. Uh, Genres present in many forms of literature and podcasting. 
the effect of nonsense is often caused by an excess of meaning rather than lack of it. Humor is derived from a nonsensical nature rather than wit or punchlines. Wow, this is humbling. Uh, literary nonsense, uh, recognized as, uh, since the 19th century, combines a combination of two broad artistic sources. First, on older sources, oral folk tradition, including games, songs, drama, and rhymes. Mother Goose, Hey Diddle Diddle. The second newer source of literary nonsense is the intellectual absurdities of court poets, scholars, and intellectuals of various kinds. Uh, satire, parody, and more. Today's literary nonsense. Okay, so now we're getting into it, uh, uh, though comes from a combination of both sources. Not the first to write a hybrid kind of nonsense. Edward Lear popularized it with limericks uh, and other famous texts uh, such as, uh, oh boy, some of these. uh, Then Lewis Carroll, Jabberwocky, and Out Through the Looking Glass. There's even theory behind this. uh, Faulty cause and effect. that's about the only word I understand. Portmanteau, neologism, reversals, inversions, imprecision, including gibberish. Uh, yeah. Oh, Tristram Shandy. Distinction. Gibberish, light verse and fantasy and jokes and riddles are often mistaken for literary nonsense, and the confusion is greater because nonsense can sometimes inhabit these genres. Pure gibberish, as in a nursery rhyme, is a device of nonsense, but does not make it literary nonsense. Uh, if there's not significant sense to balance out such devices, the text evolves into literary, literal as opposed to literary nonsense. This is a well-written Wikipedia article. Okay, nonsense writers. J- Douglas Adams, uh, Dave Eggers, uh, Eric Idle. Uh, Rochelle Silverstein, Alan Watts. Um, yeah, okay. Let's, uh, a little bit about it. Bob Dylan, uh, David Byrne, Sid Barrett, uh, Bill Griffith, and Zippy the Pinhead. So, okay. And then, yeah, let's, okay, so let's get back to Alice, though. Popular Alice in Wonderland was published in 1865. Inspired, I think there's a movie about this or something. Inspired when uh, they were on a boat. Uh, oh, wait, I've read about this on the podcast because uh, I think, or maybe that was what that movie was. Was there a movie? I don't know. This is long too, so if you really want to get into it, you can. There's an annotated Alice. My daughter was in the one of the you know musical Alice in Wonderland. Uh, she played the Cheshire Cat, and it was a Zoom musical because of uh, that was just the way of the world when she was in that musical. They actually started it before in January of 2020, and then adjusted, and it was beautiful. Uh, wow, keeps going on. Oh boy, this is good. There is a lot in here. Reception. Uh, it was failed to be named in the 1888 poll of most popular children's stories, received poor reviews. Uh, they said the illustrations were better than the story. It gained in popularity by the end of the 18th and the 19th century. Uh, so it took a while. In cinema, we got, uh, there's a silent film, two, one, two, three silent films, one, two, Two other films in the 30s, then a TV adaptation in the 30s, uh, then another one in the 40s, and then a BBC production in the 40s, and then another one in the 40s. Uh, live action, stop motion show in the 49, another one in 1950, and 1950, oh, 1951 was the Disney movie. Yeah, so a lot. Holy cow. So, uh, yeah, that's a little bit about Alice in Wonderland or whatever Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. That's because Bryony was doing some uh, Alice seed stuff. What is this called? Poots de Moor. 
Oh, yeah, this was interesting. I forgot how to say it, uh, but uh, it's a French pastry with a hollow center, uh, uh, confectionery sugar, caramel, uh, jam, jelly, or uh, pastry cream, uh, large puff pastry, 18th century would cause scandal because uh, I guess that would like uh, seems a little bit I don't know I think this is I should I think they should have they should move on because I think they should have moved on just seems a little dated to be doing stuff like that okay next up would be another word I can't say uh, let's see this is what one of the things Dan made is a showstopper pie. Uh, Kulibiak, I don't know, C-O-U-L-I-B-I-A-C, which is a Russian type of pierogi, usually filled with uh, fish, rice or buckwheat, uh, hard-boiled eggs, mushrooms, onions, and dill, baked in a pastry shell, usually brioche or puff pastry. In the early part of the 20th century, that was brought to France and became like uh, it was when the, when the complete guide to the art of modern cookery. Uh, sometimes it was uh, salmon, and sometimes it was a white fish, and uh, yeah, that's that's it about that. Uh, then, oh, let's talk about D R A G O N S. Let's see what Wikipedia has about that. Uh, if there's a way I can talk about it. So it's a large uh, f- f- fantasy forest friend, appears in folklore uh, since the high middle ages. You know, they could they have wings, four legs, fire, or in D&D, other things can come out of their mouths. I read the Dragon Lance books multiple times in my life. Uh, Though, uh, in some countries they're wingless, uh, but four-legged, uh, in the highly intelligent, a lot of times, uh, uh, draconic is another way to say it, uh, like draconian was a dragon, uh, like, well, it's complicated, that was in Dragonland, so, uh, stories about storm gods, uh, dealing with them were popular at some point, uh, a lot of different parts, prototypical draconic creatures in a lot of mythologies. Uh, but it's a conflation of uh, earlier, you know, combination of earlier traditions and inaccurate scribal drawings, they say in Wikipedia. Sometimes they would be tamed or over tamed or tamed. I don't know what that means. Uh, but, uh, you know, the St. George is one person that's popular. They're said to live in caves and be very hungry, hoard treasure. And they're popular in uh, fantasy literature from, uh, like, uh, for, you know, throughout history, even to modern day. Uh, let's see. It can be also some cultures associated with good fortune, power over rain. Uh, there's also association with the Chinese custom of dragon dancing, 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 not dancing. Because I don't know if you can do dragon dancing because da- dragon dancing is a part of a group. Uh, I don't think a group can do any dancing. Ted, not associate. I don't know if Ted Danson's ever voiced it. Speaking of dancing's, uh, uh, dragon boat racing. Also can be, were identified at times with the Emperor of China uh, and uh, Chinese imperial history. Comes from the old French dragon, uh, which in turn comes from the Latin uh, draconum. And maybe that comes from, so it goes on and on and on. They virtually appear in virtually all cultures around the globe, though scholars do, do kind of can't agree on currently. On Wikipedia, they can't agree with where the first dragons may have appeared. Though there is this book, An Instinct for Dragons, from 2000 by anthropologist David E. Jones. Uh, so that's interesting. And there's also another book, uh, The First Fossil Hunters, Dinosaurs, Mammoths, and Myth in Greek and Roman Times by Adrian Manor, Mayer. Excuse me. And this Wikipedia article kind of goes through different uh, 
a lot of different myths uh, and, uh, you know, cultural associations, art, a lot of, this is one of these Wikipedia articles that's got a lot of great pictures on it, too. Uh, urns, oh boy, wow, really cool stuff. Uh, so definitely worth your time, uh, whether you're, you know, if you're a dragon fan or not, like do yourself a favor and search on, uh, uh and speaking of fantasy creatures, let's talk about mermaids, uh, cause we talked about mermaids recently, but we didn't talk about, we only talked about the, the mermaid statues in Copenhagen. Uh, in folklore, according to Wikipedia, a mermaid's an aquatic creature with the head and uh, upper body of a female human, tail of a fish. Uh, they appear in the folklore of many c- cultures worldwide. In ancient Assyria, the goddess uh, Atargatis, Atargatis, Atargatis uh, transformed herself into a mermaid, you know, after something happened. Uh, Sometimes they're associated with perilous events, of floods, storms, you know, and other stuff. Uh, they can be benevolent or beneficent, uh, bestowing boons or falling in love with humans. Male equivalent is a merman, merman. Uh, though traditions and sightings of merman were less common. Uh, they could have been influenced by the uh, sirens of Greek, Greek, Greek mythology. Greek mythology. Uh, they're the subject of art and literature. Hans Christian Andersen's uh, The Little Mermaid. Then they've been depicted in operas, paintings, books, comics, animation, and film. Uh, the combination is a, a compound of the Old English mare, M-E-R-E-C, and maid. Uh, let's see, blah, 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 Mesopotamia and, uh, the Eastern Medita- Mediterranean. They, they, they do appear in artwork from old, old Babylonian periods onward. Uh, there was also, they had their own thing called, fi- that translated to fish woman. Uh, Neo-Assyrian arts as protective figures, uh, monumental sculptures, and small protective figurines. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, let's see. That 1001 Nights collection uh, includes several tales of sea people. Uh, unlike depictions of mermaids and other mythologies, these are anatomically anatomically identical to landbound humans, only differing in their hair. Only di- Why did I say hair? I don't know where I'm seeing hair, but uh, only differing in their ability to breathe and live underwater. So that's kind of like, uh, what's his name uh, from Marvel? Or Aquaman. Namor. Na- right, he's the king under the sea. Namor? Namor. Uh... Well, this is a the underwater society formed a followed a form of primitive communism. What does primitive communism mean? Now let's go look that up. Primitive communism, according to Wikipedia, is a describing of gift economies of hunter gatherers throughout history, uh, shared with members of a group in accordance with the individual needs. Uh, it's a concept often credited to Marx and Engels. Uh, who wrote that hunter-gatherer societies were based on uh, social relations, common ownership. Uh, so, yeah, this was like, okay, what does that exactly mean? So this article about mer-people, mer-beings, uh, oh, wow, there's, you got to check this one out. Uh, this is a painting from Eastern Europe uh, by Ilya Ripin. Uh, Sadko in the Underwater Kingdom from 1876 is absolutely uh, mesmerizing. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, so this talks about all all different uh, cultures, and and they're very similar to dragons, but different. Wow, it goes on and on and on. Reported sightings... uh, Hoaxes and show exhibitions, P.T. Barnum, 
there was also one in L- uh, London in 1822. Uh, scientific inquiry. The topic of some mermaids in, in earnest has been arisen in several instances of scientific scrutiny, uh, including deep sea news. Uh, Five primary reasons listed as to why mermaids don't fit current evolutionary understanding are thermal regulation, uh, evolutionary mismatch, reproductive challenges, digestive differences between mammals and fish, and lack of evidence. And of course, arts and entertainment and, and, and stuff, uh, we see it uh, in things, you know, movies, books. Uh, Operas, trying to find uh, Disney's musical animation movie, which they're making into a uh, Ponyo, of course. Uh, oh, the team dramedy, H2O, just to add water. We watched that at my house. Uh, I was like doing other stuff, so I don't really. Re- it was on at my, ha- at my house, but I was editing podcast episodes. Uh, the Kuzak family crest includes a mermaid wielding a sword, as depicted on a memorial stone for Sir Thomas Kuzak. The city of Norfolk, Virginia, also uses a mermaid as a symbol. The personal coat of arms for the general governor of Canada, Michel Jean, features two mermaids. Also on the Herald of University of Birmingham, Mermaid fandom and cosplay is known as mermaiding. Oh, that's when you swim in costume. Mermaiding. Mermaiding. Uh, let's see what I thought. There wasn't. How come there's not anything? I don't see one thing about a splash in here, which is kind of uh, really uh, pirates of pirates of thing. Spirit Mermaid, Wikiwatch. Oh, yeah, I've been to Wikiwachi. Um, I've seen the mermaids at Wikiwachi. I would have liked to go on a few times. Uh, oh, what do you want? You don't know about that? Sure, I'll tell you. It's professional female divers have performed as mermaids at Florida's Wikiwachi Springs since 1947. The state park calls itself the only city of live mermaids. It was popular in the 1960s, drawing 1 million tourists per year. Most of the current performers work part-time, are certified scuba divers. They wear fabric tails and perform aquatic ballet for an audience in an underwater stage with glass walls. Children also often ask if the mermaids are real. The PR director says, just like Santa Claus, uh, we always say yes. Uh, we're not going to tell them they're not real. Okay, so that's a little bit about mermaids. Uh, let's see. we got to finish up here. Oh, one more creature of the world, butterfly. Butterflies like Bernie the butterfly are insects. Uh and I can't pronounce their phylum and gen, 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 whatever, whatever phylum and all that stuff because it's way too hard. Lepido, yeah, macro, macro, lepid, o, patar, patar, patarin. Uh, also part of the family of moss. Who would have thought that? Uh, yeah, the group combines a super family. Of course, they're a super papillion something, which contains at least one former group, the Skippers, in the super from another formerly from another super family. These are like super groups. Butterfly fossils taped date to fifty six million years ago. We've covered some of this on Bernie. You know, Bernie told us about four-stage insect lifestyle cycle. Bernie really broke that down about what that was like. Uh, uh, eggs, then larvae, then caterpillars, uh, and then pup- pupate in uh, a chrysalis, and then their metaphor- metamorphosis uh, into a butterfly. They make use of cam- camouflage mimic- mimicry. Some, like the monarch and the painted lady, migrate over long distances. Uh, yeah, they're pretty, I mean, butterflies, they're, they're friggin' great. Uh, beautiful, 
interesting and uh, so much more. Distribution and migration, 18,500 species distributed everywhere but Antarctica. Uh, there's near Arctic, uh, near Arctic, uh, neotropical, afrotropical, other, so yeah, they're spread everywhere. And, you know, humans like to say they can fly twice as high because they took a look in a book, but, you know, butterflies don't buy it. Uh, They say, you need a plane to fly. We fly on our own. Uh, Pupa, who you calling a pupa? Behavior. Butterflies uh, feed on nectar from flowers. Uh, They derive nourishment also from pollen, tree sap, uh, fruit, dung. And other stuff, dissolved minerals in wet sand and dirt, even. They don't carry as much of a pollen load as bees, but they can move about pollen over distances. Adult butterflies consume only liquids. We know that from Bernie, because Bernie loves uh, uh, Gatorade, uh, which kind of combines their favorite things, water and nectar. Where you know, because they they actually need sugar for energy, sodium, and other minerals for vital for reproduction. That's what I always tell Bernie. I say, I don't need you, but I don't need you ready for reproduction. And my, you know, you live with me. I got a butterfly as one of my roommates. There's a lot about in this Wikipedia article about butterflies in culture. Uh, also, appearance in the Alice in the Wonderland as a caterpillar. Mythology and folklore, uh, technology, study of the structural coloration of the fish wing, the wing scales of swallowtail butterflies had led to the uh, development of more efficient light-emitting diodes and uh, inspiring nanotechnology research. So, yeah, that's a little bit about butterflies, and I hope uh, this butterfly flies away. And you watch its wings as you drift off into sleep. Good night.